Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to the New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, as you heard in the introduction. Uh, But I'm always glad that you're here because there's, you know, even this time of year, I will confess, going into fall, even though we've had a pretty pretty warm week and probably some more warm days ahead, but it is feeling like fall, is it not? You know, you got that crisp air in the morning, a little bit of chill. Not enough that you need a heavy coat, maybe just something light, but then you're going to shed it in the, in the uh, afternoon because it's going to warm up. So this is fall in the south, but it's one of my favorite times of the year, and I, don't, I can't think of a better place to be this time of year than in your landscape and in your garden because there are so many things that you need to be doing right now, and you can continue to do all winter long, mainly planting. Yes, that is right. You've probably heard me say it before if you've listened to this program for any amount of time. (laughs) Fall is the best time of year to plant, and winter is good as well. Now remember, when we plant in the cooler seasons, whatever plants you're planting is dormant. Nothing is really actively growing over winter. This is sort of our subtropical climate we live in. But because things aren't actively growing, they don't require so much moisture. And because the air temperatures are cooler, they don't have so much stress on them. Because the hotter something, the hotter the temperature gets in the atmosphere, then the more stress the plant has to deal with. It loses water rapidly. It's sort of like perspiring. You and I, when we get out in the hot sun, we perspire. (laughs) Well, there's another word for plants, they call it transpire. As a matter of fact, a little more fancy term is evapotranspiration. And evapotranspiration just refers to the fact that you have evaporation and the process of transpiration, which is the plant losing water through its pores underneath the leaves. Those work in conjunction during these the hot days, but it's cool now. So there's very little evapotranspiration happening, which means your plants don't need so much attention over fall and winter. But there's one more key element to why fall and winter is such a great time to plant. Now, that key element is the soil temperature. That's right. The soil temperature stays quite warm in our region over winter. Uh, We may drop into the 40s in very late winter, but still 45 is warm enough. 45 is warm enough for roots to develop. So right now, Roots can grow in the very warm soil, probably still in the 60s, 65 or so. And you can bank off of that warm soil, cool air temperatures, the fact that the plant is not actively growing, but its root system can get established. And once it's established in the ground, in the soil, then by next spring and summer, when temperatures increase, moisture levels decrease, maybe go into a drought in the summer. We don't know, hopefully not, but we might. We have historically, 
then the plant is well prepared with a large, more massive root system. And so on today's program, we are going to talk about something very special. Uh, For those of you who have small gardens, small areas, more, uh, it's increasingly the size of our lots that we live upon are getting smaller. I think the average is about 10,000 square feet. And that's because there are so many subdivisions now that have tiny little uh, uh, lots. So with that being said, you have postage size stamp, postage size, see, postage stamp size yards. Stamp size, I don't know what I'm saying. Very small yards, right? About as big of a postage, big as a postage stamp. Well, maybe you are in that situation. Maybe your neighbors are. Maybe your entire neighborhood is. And you're looking for plants that won't get crazy large. So to encourage you folks with smaller landscapes to plant this fall and through winter, I thought that today we would talk about small plants, big impact. Yes, you can achieve a beautiful landscape with a small landscape if you just pick the right plants. Don't think that just because your back garden is only 12 feet wide and 13 feet deep or whatever, don't think you can't do something amazing. Because we help folks, of course, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, where you can find me throughout the week, we help folks with small size landscapes do just that. And with that being said, today we are focusing on smaller plants. Now, we can use the word dwarf, okay? But don't be confused. Dwarf can mean larger than you and I would suspect a dwarf to be. For instance, there are plenty of plants that are called dwarf and they still get five or six feet tall. That doesn't seem very dwarf, does it? Because it's over our heads. But if you look back at its mother plant, its traditional size, then usually you're in the 20 feet or so range. So yes, five or six feet would consider or constitute a dwarf variety. But I am really going to talk about true dwarfs, dwarfs that only get about waist high if left uh, unpruned even. With pruning, you can keep most of these even smaller. And we've talked about pruning before. It is a maintenance thing. It is something we have to do from time to time. Uh, But in this case today, we're going to talk about plants that maybe get, well, for shrubs, about three to four feet, give or take. And then we're going to talk about some trees that even though they get large, maybe 15 to 20, 25 feet, it's still a small size for a tree. Because if you have a landscape that is very small, putting in a large oak or large maple may be a bit too overwhelming. But you can use other selections, other varieties of of trees that can stay 15 rather than 40, 60, or 100 feet, which oaks can very well uh, get as big as that. And so we're going to talk about evergreen shrubs that get about 3 or 4 feet. We're going to talk about deciduous shrubs. Of course, those are shrubs that drop their leaves. Uh, Shrubs that get 3 or 4 feet. And we're going to talk about evergreen trees and deciduous trees that are going to be in that 15 to 20, maybe 25 foot range. But of course, that could be many years from now. Now, before we get into that discussion, I do want to remind you that, uh, well, I don't know how it's going to fall as far as the scheduling, but we will be on and off somewhat on Saturdays in in, in case UGA decides to play an early football game, okay? (laughs) So we may not be getting to your questions at the end of the month, but traditionally, of course, we answer your questions at the end of the month. 
So be sure to send your questions to us. Of course, you can find us online at NewSouthernGarden.com, Facebook, Instagram. There's plenty of ways to get in touch with us. You can also listen to the show on the podcasting apps after it's aired here live on WRWH 93.9 FM, which, of course, is your hometown radio. And so you can uh, listen to us on Saturdays. And then if you are tired of watching, uh, I don't know, game shows or or uh, soap operas throughout the week, you can turn off the TV and listen to New Southern Garden online on demand whenever, whenever you feel like it. Now, last week we answered your questions because we did have a UGA game that set us back, so be sure to uh, check out last week's program where we went to the mailbag and help folks just like yourself who have problems in their landscape. So, an upcoming show will be you. It will be all about you and your questions. Uh, but we do want to remind you that sending them to us before the end of the month is a swell idea. Now, the second thing that I want to say is sort of a garden rant. Yes, a garden rant. From time to time, I feel like I have to just lay it all out on the table because I can't necessarily say the things to, uh, you know, my workers, uh, my, my crew members at the nursery and the customers, because many of the things that aggravate me uh, really come from, you know, the customers, right? (laughs) No, 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 no. It doesn't make me upset. But there is a topic this time of year that I think we need to be a little forgiving about. We don't need to be so quick to judge. We have this asphyxiation with perfection in the landscape. That's right. Completely spotless plants, completely green, no yellowing on our plants at all. I don't want one hole in one leaf on my plant. One hole in one leaf, folks, is not a problem. Now, if the entire plant, or 50% of the plant at least, is becoming devoured by an insect, that is a problem. 50% is a big problem. Uh, But we've got to remember that perfection in the natural world is tough because Mother Nature is random, right? Think about uh, where Mother Nature plants trees or weeds, just anywhere she feels like it. They fall on the ground, and that's where they lie. That's where they grow. And so we've got to remember that Mother Nature is going to be random. These are living entities. These are living creatures. So for us to think that we are going to have a plant with spotless no yellowing leaves all year long is a bit ambitious and a bit ridiculous. And I'll say why it's ridiculous because plants go through phases. Plants go through cycles. Plants go through cycles as well as humans. You know, sometimes we have pains and we have aches. They may come and go. Sometimes we wake up in the morning and we don't look our best. We call them bad hair days, right? (laughs) You're not always going to look your best. Don't expect your plants to. Growing a healthy plant doesn't mean the plant doesn't have imperfections. Now, I don't mean the plant has disease because a disease is a major problem. Can be, depending on what disease it is. Good good diagnosis of that disease can tell you what is going on and help you along uh, with making sure it's healthy. But Right now, this time of year, we're going through a cycle. And I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks back. But we're going through a cycle that all plants are undergoing. Okay? We have gone through a long, hot summer. And your plants have too. Now, we've had in our area here in Zone 7 down in the uh, foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, of course, we've had nice moisture 
We only had a few weeks of extended dry, but really I didn't see many plants suffering. So we've had uh, still a summer, a hot summer. Well, your plant's leaves that open up in the spring, by this time of year, they are now very old leaves. Those leaves are going to fall soon. If it's an evergreen plant, most of the leaves will stay on the plant, but the older leaves, the plants down deep inside of the plant, they will start falling because it's the cycle. You see, uh, plants are going dormant, like we've already discussed, and what that really means is they're sending as much storage as they can salvage down into the stems and into the root system. So, yes, if something looks yellow now from the inside, not necessarily on the tips, but from the inside, this is natural, this is normal, but it will happen year after year because that's the cycle of life. Perfection this time of year, late summer, early fall, is sort of ridiculous to expect. Now, the other thing about spots, right? Spots can be a problem, especially if it's a disease, but spots can also just be a symptom of old age, And I don't mean that the plant itself is necessarily old, but the leaves on those plants may be very old. They're geriatric leaves at this point in time. They've been around for months, and many of them are going to start falling. And so let me give you one example of gardenia. Right now, we have some beautiful August Beauty gardenias. They get five to eight feet tall, glossy, dark green leaves. Of course, beautiful white, rose-like, fragrant flowers in the summer. Great plant. But... They are very conspicuous about showing yellowing of leaves this time of year. Now, those leaves, again, are turning yellow because the plant is pulling out the resources to help it go dormant, to prepare it for winter. You know, just like my grandma did and my grandpa, they'd grow their food and then they'd can it and store it for the winter. Well, the plant is storing nutrition for the winter because it's not going to make any more or very little over winter. So that yellowing going on with these August beauties, people come in the nursery. They say, oh, these plants are dying. These plants are dying. I'm not going to buy these things. They're not dying, folks. They're going through their cycle. This time of year, it's a big cycle thing. We can't always expect perfection. But at the same rate, we've got to remember that if there are causes for concern, let's check them out. Make sure nothing uh, disastrous is going on and get the plant healthy. But this time of year, your plants are going to change. They're not going to look perfect. They may not be blooming. They may have spots. They may have holes. They may have some yellowing. It's okay. When we get back, small plants for a big impact in your small space. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well.
All right, gang. Well, it is feeling a lot like fall here in the new Southern Garden, and I'm so excited because that means that this is the new best time of the year. What is that song? It's the most wonderful time of the year. Yes, in the landscape, fall is the best time of the year because that means that means that you can do all the planting you want to do. You can do all the planting you can do now because your plants are going to have a better shot in spring and summer when it gets dry because all winter long they will have been growing their root systems. But today we are talking about plants you can plant in your landscape, really no matter where you live or what size landscape you have, but especially if you have a small landscape. We're going to talk about trees and shrubs, both deciduous and evergreen. Of course, evergreen meaning that these kinds of plants keep foliage on their on their bodies all year long. And of course, deciduous meaning they drop their leaves in the fall and are just barren twigs over winter. Uh, but then they show off in the spring, and I'll tell you about which ones are probably the most showiest today. But these are going to be smaller plants. In the shrub world, we're talking about plants that get three or four feet. That's what I call a true dwarf, because usually dwarfs just have to be smaller than the original size of the plant. Um, but in this case, I'm going to say dwarf is three to four, because really getting a three-foot shrub is very small. Some people ask, I want a shrub that's 18 inches. It's very hard to find shrubs that are just 18 inches tall, but three and four feet is easier to find. And with pruning, you can keep all of these plants even smaller. So let's jump right in into the evergreen shrubs. Now again, evergreen shrubs, they're going to keep their leaves all year. Some of them may have, um, some of them may, may have flowers, and I'll mention those, and some may not. But regardless, these plants are going to stay smaller. The first one I want to talk about is a holly. You know, we're, we've used holly for many years. Now I'm not talking about those big thorny-leaved hollies. Those are the Chinese hollies that, well, most people don't want anymore. For some reason, back in the 70s and 80s, and so, they uh, they were using them a lot. There's one called Rotunda. It's kind of big, but it is thorny. This one is not thorny. This is a Japanese, not a Chinese, a Japanese holly. And this holly has very small leaves, very soft leaves. It actually gets between two and three feet tall and wide, so very small. It can be used as a replacement for boxwood. It looks a lot like boxwood. As a matter of fact, to the untrained eye, you may think from a distance it is boxwood, but it's not. It's, a, it's truly a holly. Soft-touch holly, and that's how it gets its name. It's got tiny leaves, small leaves that are very soft. No spines at all, folks. The Japanese hollies don't have that. So you can be rest assured that a holly like this is going to be safe in the landscape. But again, it can make a small hedge, a small row. You can use them as individual plants and sort of have nice round green meatballs if that's your thing. Some people, we want space between our plants. That's okay. But regardless, they're green. They don't flower. Uh, well, they might flower, but it's not going to be conspicuous. It's going to be not even noticeable. Tiny little white flowers, if any. Uh, because usually if they do flower, they'll have a little blackberry, which is a little attractive, little attractive in the fall. But it can be one of those foundation plants, one of those plants that just gives you the green, right? One of the plants that uh, uh, is going to be steadfast and sure because green, we need plants that are green all year to fill in space, right? Just to, to give us something to look at over winter. Well, soft-touch holly can do that. And clocking in at two to three foot tall and wide you might consider it. Now, another great evergreen plant is gardenia. And I mentioned that in the previous segment. Uh, but the one I mentioned gets about five to eight feet tall. Well, this gardenia, the true dwarf gardenia, it can get about 
24 inches tall. Now, that is pretty short. It might try to push to three feet, but rarely does it because it usually grows wider than it does tall. So maybe 24 inches tall and oh, three to three and a half, maybe four if you never trim it, feet wide because it does kind of just crawl on the ground. It's called radicans. Radicans means small or smaller or tiny, but it is probably the smallest, it is the smallest gardenia I know of, but it has the classic gardenia flower, showy, white, rosy-like petals all mashed together, uh, well, kind of like a rose, <laughs> but it does have the fragrance of jasmine in the summertime. So a great plant to put near a patio, especially if your patio is not very big and the planting spaces on either side is small as well. It can do a great job for you and give you wonderful attraction all year long. Evergreen leaves, flowers in the summer, what more fragrant flowers in the summer, what more could you ask for? Now, there is another gardenia if you want something a little bulkier, a little bigger, three to four feet uh, in that range. This one is called Frostproof. Frostproof gardenia is wonderful, and it gets its name because traditionally uh, in colder climates, Frostproofs may, uh, sorry, gardenias may get bitten back by frost. It's very possible. But in our zone, they usually don't. If you're high in the mountains, possibly in, in a cold winter, the tips might get bent, uh, kind of bit back. But no worries. That's not going to damage the plant unless it takes it out completely. Uh, it won't even bother it blooming. If you have a little frost on your gardenias, uh, the tips die back. That's okay because these plants bloom in the summer. And so shearing them or having damage to them in late winter when the frost comes is not going to harm their budding and blossoming cycle. But the frost proof is a little bigger. Again, three to four feet. Same classic white fragrant flowers. Very rosy-like. Uh, but it, it, if you need something bulkier, maybe for the backdrop, the background, up against the house, great foundation plant because they keep their leaves all year. So in the gardenia world, you've got radicans, which is the small 24-inch tall, and you've got the frost-proof gardenia, which, which gets about 3 to 4 feet tall and wide. All right, let's do something a little more colorful. I have talked about gold mop from time to time because it is a nice plant. It's got thread-like foliage, no flowers whatsoever, but the foliage itself is very bright gold. And then deeper inside the plant is lime green, and even deeper is a dark green, almost blue color. So you've got this nice transition of yellow to dark green in the same plant. Really can be attractive. And the other critical point about it is that it's got the fine texture foliage. Like I said, these leaves just sort of hang off the plant like a, a ball of yarn, just threads spilling over the edge. Very weep, not weeping, uh, but flowing like. It doesn't necessarily weep, but it's a pyramidal shape. So it comes to a point at the top. But again, there are several varieties. One of them is called Paul's Gold, Paul's Gold Gold Mop False Cypress great name, right? It's super lengthy. Uh, but look for varieties that stay smaller. That one gets about four feet, but you can trim it uh, to keep it even smaller. But a great contrast with the dark green plants like the hollies and the gardenias we talked about, you can have a beautiful display. Now, in the same kind of group, uh, they're in the conifer family, along with the Goldmop cypress, is the Globosa nana cryptomeria. Cryptomeria is a fancy word for Japanese cedar, uh, which traditionally get 100 foot tall. They are very large plants, but thanks to the beauty of uh, uh, genetics and breeding and whatnot, selecting, Globosa nana means little globe. 
Globosa means globe, and nana means small or little. So little globe cryptomeria. It stays compact, three to four feet tall, three to four feet wide. It's a nice round green ball that doesn't take any shearing, doesn't really require it at all. It never gets out of shape, and it slowly grows to three to four feet. Now, you can trim that and keep it smaller if you like, but you'd have to stay on top of that. But it does have that fine textured foliage, just like the gold mop cypress, very small leaves. But in this case, they're sort of all-shaped, A-W-L, all, all-shaped. And that all-shape uh, really comes from the fact that, uh, well, all is like a screwdriver sort of, you know, thin and narrow. So you got a bunch of these little all-shapes, and they're a lighter green. They're not a very dark green. They're sort of, I would almost call them limey green. But, of course, uh, conditions may, may uh, change that. If, if it needs something and lacking, maybe sort of limier to yellow, we don't want that. But a light green, not a dark green, is what Globosa nana is going to give you. Now, the last little plant before we take a break is Abelia. Abelia is a great evergreen plant. Um, they can stay. There are several varieties that stay three to four feet. You can trim them down in the uh, early part of spring, start them over if you want to, treat them like a perennial whatever, but they do bloom in the summertime. They have some gorgeous blooms in the summertime that I'll tell you is a great pollinator plant. The pollinators love them, so if you want to attract uh, pollinators to your small landscape and you need a small plant, go for Abelia. It'll be there all year and have leaves for you, but the benefit in the summer is they're still blooming now, actually, the pollinators will come out. So wonderful plants, Rose Creek Abelia, Kaleidoscope, uh, Lime Green, whatever. We've got all kinds. All right, when we get back, more small plants. Folded for the world. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, welcome back, gang. This is the second half of New Southern Garden. If you've missed any part of the program, you got to be sure to check it out online at NewSouthernGarden.com because today we are talking about your small landscape and how you can make an impact in a small space, particularly by using small plants. There's this word in garden design called scale, S-C-A-L-E, scale. Now, just like in all things, you know, you've got scaled images, right? So if something is, um, is smaller than it actually is, but it's scaled, then the dimensions are the same in proportion to the size. And so the same thing goes for your landscape. If you have small spaces, then you need plants that aren't going to overwhelm the small space. As a matter of fact, I have been in folks' backyards, back gardens, and they're so small that one southern magnolia, a classic southern magnolia that gets 50 feet wide in a lifetime, it would well surpass their landscape and spill over into some uh, to their neighbors. So that plant is not a great choice for your smaller space because the scale is off. If we have small spaces, we need to use the appropriate scaled size plants. And so that means more dwarf 
Uh, instead of, you know, 15-foot shrubs, we may need to use things like three and four-feet shrubs. It's more to scale. That also allows you to fit in more plants. If you're using small plants in a small space, you can fit in a more wide variety. If you have a plant that gets 15 feet, but you have a 15-foot planting space, you can only have one plant in that space for it to fill up. But if you have a 15-foot planting space and you use three five-foot plants, then you have three plants that fills up the 15 space. Or if you use three-foot plants, you could have five plants in the space. Isn't that great? <laughs> so again, scale allows you more opportunity and less crowding. You'll be happier, but you can make a big impact with the plants we're talking about today. So again, if you've missed the earlier half of the show and uh, you are just tuning in, well, check us out later online at NewSouthernGarden.com. And you can also leave us a question there because we will be answering questions later this month. So before the break, we were talking about a gorgeous plant called abelia. And I feel like I was rushing to get to that, uh, to that break and didn't give it the credit that it's due. Now, abelia is an evergreen slash semi-evergreen plant. Traditionally, they could get well over eight feet and people used them as hedging material. Uh, it's very classic. You'll see some old hedges that are made of abelia. It does make a great hedge, but the smaller dwarf varieties that get about three and four feet are easier to deal with, and they can fit up close to the house. There are some varieties that have dark green leaves, sort of uh, bronzy or pinkish uh, new growth. That would be the Rose Creek abelia, and also Rose Creek abelia has some pink in her flower. Because these plants do bloom in the summer, and as I mentioned earlier, great pollinator plant. But then there are some new varieties, like Kaleidoscope. Kaleidoscope abelia is great because it's a variegated leaf, it, but its color comes in a kaleidoscope of color. Isn't that a great name? So this particular plant, depending on the time of year, Kaleidoscope abelia will present different colors. In the spring, it's very limey and yellow and maybe dark greens in the variegation on the leaf. But then as we go through summer, that gets richer in color. And then as we go into fall and winter, usually the colors are very orange and red but they're not going to drop off the plant. Well, some will, but most will stay on the plant and give you a red-orangey color over the winter. So Abelia has a wide variety of selections, and there are new ones coming out probably every year. I've seen so many new varieties. Hopefully, they'll trial those and test them to make sure they're worthy of our landscapes. But otherwise, Abelia is a fabulous small plant. Just make sure you're buying a variety that stays small. All right, now let's talk about the other kind of shrubs. We've talked about evergreen shrubs, but today we're talking about another group of shrubs that are called deciduous. Now, these shrubs are not evergreen. They do not keep their leaves all year. They will drop their leaves in the fall, and they will be twiggy over winter, uh, late fall and winter. But in spring, they will unfurl new buds of leaf, and they will be gorgeous. Now, one of our favorite plants in the garden and I think it's probably still America's favorite plant. That is the rose. Roses. Everybody likes roses, right? Well, I know not everybody. I've met people who say, I don't want any roses in my yard. That's fine. Don't plant them. You don't have to have them. But roses have traditionally been larger shrubs that maybe become, may become quite monstrous. <laughs> now, most of the time, even a large rose can be trimmed and 
appropriately maintained to be a bit smaller. Uh, but there are some great dwarfs out there. One of the uh, one of the best groups of roses that stay small is called the drift roses. You may have some. They've been out for quite a while, and new varieties have come out over the past few years, different colors and whatnot. But drift roses in general can vary from which variety you choose to uh, go with. But in general, drift roses, they stay short, definitely less than three feet or right at it. But they get wider, which is how they get their name drift. They're like a blanket, a blanket, a carpet rose. There was an old-timey rose called carpet rose, and these sort of are an improvement upon that one. Because the drift roses get wider than they do tall. So maybe three, they could push four if you're not trimming appropriately, uh, feet wide. But definitely 24 inches to not quite three feet. Not quite three feet. They do come in a variety of colors. Reds, pinks. There's one called peach and apricot, which are wonderful. But another great thing about the drift roses is that several of their varieties are quite fragrant. You know, in today's world, they're breeding roses for... Uh, certain characteristics like disease resistance, which is great, and they forget about the fragrance. Maybe they're um, uh, uh, trying to breed for compactness, like in this case with drift roses. Well, but you think they forget the, the fragrance. Not all the drift roses are fragrant, but there are several varieties like the peach and the apricot. Uh, coral is a bit fragrant that still have a beautiful fragrance, some more potent than others. So be sure to give those roses a sniff before you buy them. But drift rose, uh, they are disease resistant. They get, they still have some spotting issues, but you don't necessarily have to spray them like you do the old timey roses. Now that leads me into another group of roses that are a bit more bush-like. They're not quite uh, as ground cover carpet-like. But they are small. They're in the twos and three foot range, potentially four, but pruning them once a year as we should with, with really most roses, uh, that will keep them smaller. These roses are called the Oso, O-S-O, Oso Easy Rose. What a marvelous name, right? Oso Easy. Because they are easy. They, they too are designed or have been bred for disease resistance so you don't have to worry about constantly spraying like you did the old-fashioned ones so that's a big attraction they too in my opinion because uh, I've uh, we've had them at the nursery before and they smell really nice they smell really nice some of them some more so than others but the idea here is that um, uh, the oh so easy rose stays smaller three and four feet. That's what you want to fit in and look into your planting spaces. Now, let's talk about some colors and some options. The Oh So Easy, they have a red, which is kind of classic, a double red, I believe it is. Really pretty red. It's not like a cherry red, but it's uh, sort of just a touch of little pink, maybe. The buds, when they open, are probably one of the, the prettiest opening buds that I have seen in a rose in a long time. Now, going beyond the reds, there are pinks, but there are also some spicy colors. There's one called Hot Paprika. Hot Paprika Oso oh Easy Rose is a uh, orange. It's a single petaled, so you don't have the mass and wads of flowers like you do on the doubles, but the single petals. But still, a very pretty plant and a very pretty orange. Now, if you like the yellows, I will say that Oso oh Easy Yellow, which I think is called Lemon... Oh, lemon something lemon something lemon twist i don't remember exactly but the yellow version of oh so easy is fabulous as well because it's yellow is rich yellow as soon as it opens it's bright vivid yellow now most roses that are yellow as they fade they turn white 
Well, this rose, the oh-so-easy yellow rose, as it fades, it doesn't turn white. It keeps and maintains a very vibrant yellow until, of course, it fades to a brown and the petals fall off the plant. But regardless, you don't have that transition of fading. A lot of yellow roses, they tout as yellow, they quickly turn white, and it's not very yellow at all. But the oh-so-easy, the yellow oh-so-easy, lemon, I think it's lemon something. I, can't, I cannot think of it. I'm sorry, folks. I'm losing my mind. But regardless, oh-so-easy rose, they're small, they're compact, and they'll be great for your small landscape. Now, there's a traditionally a very large hydrangea. Hydrangeas generally do get large. But there's the panicled hydrangeas. Now, panicled hydrangeas traditionally got 12, 15 feet even. They are the white cone-shaped roses. Cone-shaped, not the round mop heads like we see in the blues and the pink hydrangeas. No, these are the cone-shaped whites, which are very popular, uh, very modern. People are using them. They're demanding them because they are gorgeous. These, these plants, when they first open up, are sort of a lime green uh, as far as the flowers go. And as the flowers mature, they turn to a creamy ivory white. Then as they fade, they usually transition into some kind of pinks, uh, maybe reds. But panicled hydrangea, traditionally, back in our grandparents' day, all they knew was very large ones. Well, gang, we have very small ones now. We have panicled hydrangeas that can stay in the three, maybe four-foot range. You may be familiar with a panicled hydrangea called limelight, limelight hydrangea, right? It's on the, probably the cover of every Southern Living magazine in the summer when it's blooming. But the limelight gets quite large, at least eight feet. They tout it as a little, little less, but I've seen it much larger than that. Regardless, it has a little brother, and it's called little lime, little lime hydrangea. And it stays in the three to four feet. It has the same characteristics as far as flowering goes. It opens up. The flowers open up and they're sort of a lime green. Then they mature to a very nice white and then they fade to just a touch of pink. So it looks very similar to the limelight, but it is much smaller in stature. It's only three to four feet. And you can use those up close in front of the patio near the house. And you don't have to put them off in a distance like you would the larger hydrangeas. Now, there's another one that is called Firelight Tidbit. Okay, so Firelight Tidbit is also three to four feet. But instead of maturing to a pink, it matures to a very nice red. Very nice red, and it's supposed to hold its red color much longer than some of the others. But Firelight Tidbit has the same characteristics as the Little Lime, same size, three to four feet, but you can also see that at the end of their blooming season, they give you one extra layer of color. Now, with all the, all the limelight, sorry, with all the panicled hydrangeas, it is beneficial to prune them in late winter and early spring. If you have a large one or a small one, it doesn't matter. It is very beneficial to prune them in uh, late winter, early spring, because they will set their buds on the new growth. So you can trim these back very small. It keeps them compact and tighter, and they will still bloom in the same year. You cannot do that to all hydrangeas, and we have from time to time talked about hydrangeas, so you can check out more details on other types of hydrangeas and how to prune them on the website, of course, at NewSouthernGarden.com, where you can find every episode of the program we've ever had. So after this program today, maybe you go online and check out the hydrangea episodes. But regardless, the panicled hydrangeas are easy. They generally don't have any diseases. You don't have to spray them. They may get a little bugs here and there, but most plants do. 
So that's sort of uncontrollable. But uh, you can, you know, use some sprays appropriately. Well, gang, we do have one more deciduous shrub to talk about that I think you're going to love. And then we're going to talk about a few trees. I don't think I'll have time to talk about all of them this week. So I think there's going to be a two-parter. So you got to be sure to join us next week when we wrap this up. But we've got one more segment after this break, and it's going to be all about small plants. Big impact for your small landscape when we get back. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the new Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, I have to say this morning, I've got a little bit of a problem. (laughs) I've gotten so excited about talking about these small plants that are going to give your small space a big impact that I've gotten long-winded, and I don't think we'll be able to get through them all today. (laughs) So you're definitely going to have to join us for part two next week when we continue talking about these small plants for your small landscape that are going to give a big impact. Remember, it's not the size of the plant that matters, but it's how you use it and how you put them together. And that's what we're talking about today, all the characteristics and the styles that these plants give you so that when you use them in the landscape, they're going to look beautiful. Now, before the break, we left off talking about deciduous shrubs. Deciduous shrubs. Deciduous. deciduous woohoo, that's a lot of deciduous. Deciduous shrubs. Deciduous shrubs are those plants. How many more times can I say that? Deciduous shrubs. Deciduous shrubs. Maybe I should say that three times fast. <laughs> they are plants that drop their leaves. Okay? They're going to drop their leaves in the fall. They're not going to have anything on them, usually over winter. But they still have a place. They still have a space because most of these plants are the powerhouse of blooming shrubs. I always say in the plant world, there's not a perfect plant. If there was a perfect plant, God would not have had to create so many of them. He wanted us to enjoy the beauty and the differences in so many. I don't know. I'm not really shouldn't be preaching, but uh, he wanted us to enjoy the beauty and the differences that all these many different plants we have available to us uh, that they they offer. And and with, with a perfect plant, we'd only need one. We'd only need one. If you had a plant that looked good all year and bloomed constantly, You wouldn't need another plant, right? So these plants can help accentuate some of those plants that don't bloom but keep their leaves. These plants, the deciduous shrubs, they can give you looks and flowers like the roses, the hydrangeas, that most of the evergreen shrubs don't produce. Okay, so spirea. Spirea is the last deciduous shrub that I want to talk about. There are so many different types of spireas, so many different species, but there is a, there are a few varieties that I want to mention to you that stay small, that stay compact, because there are certain spireas that can be quite large. My aunt has a spirea. I think she still has it. It's been there since as long as I can remember, one of the first plants they planted when they built their house in the 80s. 
So we're going on 40 years at that site, right? Well, that one spirea is beautiful and gorgeous, but they've had to cut it back about 10 times, I guess. I don't know how many throughout the years because it's a larger variety, but it's on the end of their porch, which is elevated off the ground. The porch is probably 10 feet high, maybe eight feet or so. And yeah, not 10, probably eight feet, but then you got the height of the porch and then the house. So it climbs up the side of the porch and it's beautiful when it's in bloom. Now, these spireas today, they are small plants, two to three feet, most likely. There is a spirea called Gold Mound. Oh, it's one of my favorite spireas. Spireas is it's not my favorite plant, but of the spireas, this is one of my favorites because Gold Mound, I have a little history with it back when I was studying horticulture, worked at a plant nursery during uh, college, and they grew a lot of gold mounds, and they are nice plants. And here's the reason why. Even though they drop their leaves in the winter, in the spring, their leaves bud out and unfurl, and they're this bright chartreuse green. Not quite yellow, but very bright green, lime green, if you will. Then as summer gets closer, they start setting their buds, and their flower buds produce these brilliant pink, fluffy, foamy-looking flowers. It's gorgeous. It's great. It's this wonderful plant. Now, you can deadhead those plants, spireas, and they will produce more blooms, most likely. Give it some fertilizer. Give it some food. But you can have a continuation of blossoms by just deadheading and keeping those spent flowers um, at bay. Then, of course, as fall comes, they drop their leaves. But usually, they go out with a bang, and those uh, fall colors on their foliage can be very bright yellow. And that can add, for this short window of time during the fall, can add just one more layer of beauty to your garden until, of course, every leaf turns brown and falls to the ground. And then it's winter, and you're left with a puff of sticks, twigs. But boy, that spirea, that gold mound spirea, it worked really hard for you for the first half of the year. Well, for probably six to eight months of the year. So she needs to rest. So the, even though in the winter is not a beautiful sight. She gives you a lot of flower power and a lot of contrast with that lime green and pink. Very beautiful combination. Now, recently, I've come across another spirea that is relatively new. It's put out by the Proven Winners people. So if you find it in the nurseries and landscape centers, just be sure that you're going to pay a little bit more for this because it's still on a plant patent. Proven winners, they've got to make their money somehow, so uh, it will be a little pricier, but it is worth the extra bucks, because it's probably just a few bucks extra. But it's called Candy Corn Spirea. Now, we had a lot of these in the spring, and I haven't been able to find them for the fall. But Candy Corn, you think, would have something to do with the fall, but not really so much the fall. It's just all year long. You see, Candy Corn Spirea is about the same size, three to three feet or so, give or take. You can trim any of these spireas uh, in late winter. They'll still bloom, and they'll still be quite uh, beautiful, but they'll stay compact. Now, the candy corn, though, when its new leaves come out, you're going to have all kinds of shades. You're going to have all kinds of shades of reds, yellows, orange, and green. And it sort of does look like candy corn. You know those stripes uh, on the candy corn? It's, it's white, yellow, and orange. Well, it's sort of, there's no white in this plant, but I see where they got the name. I see how they made it work out, you know? But regardless, candy corn, very similar to the gold mound spirea. It's small, it's dwarf, it'll fit about anywhere you want it. And of course, if it gets too big, just chop it back. 
Spireas respond well. You do want to do that in late winter, early spring, like I mentioned. But candy corn, a little pricier, but again, it's going to have, uh, well, I should have mentioned, its flower color is not as pink, but it's sort of pink red. So you get a layer of flower color in the summer, but it's really that new growth that looks so superb. And then, of course, it's fall color. Many attributes that the spireas can give your landscape, can give your garden. Just be sure that you are planting one, the right spirea, that's going to stay smaller because there are some monsters out there. And we don't want those super huge spireas like at my aunt's house that looms over the, the raised porch. Uh, we don't want that in your small space. So, gang, we have talked about evergreen shrubs today. We talked about gardenias and hollies that are small, gold mops and cryptomerias that are small, and abelias that are small. Those are all evergreen plants. Deciduous shrubs like the roses, drift roses, oh-so-easy roses, panicled hydrangeas, those uh, little limes and whatnot, and then the spireas we left off. So, next week, we'll be talking about evergreen trees and deciduous trees. Of course, many of these are bloomers, so be sure that you check out next week's show because we're going to finish up our discussion on small plants, big impact in your small space. We've just got about 60 seconds left, gang, but I do want to divert my attention. Just yesterday on Friday, um, a good friend of mine, a furry friend, a garden buddy who used to tramp around with me uh, uh, around the landscape, well, he passed away last night. That was... uh, well, Friday, Thursday night, that was Shadow. And Shadow was my golden retriever of many years. We rescued him at the age of four, and he's about 10 now. And I know this is not a dog program, but in the landscape, dogs can be important, especially when they follow you around, when you're weeding, digging in plants, growing things, and they're right behind you, sniffing, maybe even digging themselves. So I do hope that Shadow finds a nice rest in the garden somewhere else. And um, maybe, maybe he'll just be a part of us. He'll be buried out here on our, well, he'll be buried out at the, at the house, at the garden where he used to run around. So anyhow, you have plant pets. Maybe we plant a tree for them. Maybe a dogwood. <laughs> All right, gang. Well, until next week, this is Nathan Wilson for New Southern Garden. I hope you stay well and grow well. See you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.